Well, hello there, and thanks for tuning in to HC Conversations, a podcast where we have discussions around faith, life, politics, and more, and how to navigate those things as a follower of Jesus. You'll also find audio from weekly messages at Hope Community. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Let's jump in. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to HC Conversations. Good to have you tuning in with us today as we continue a conversation around uh, deconstruction and deconversion of faith, maybe looking at some of the things that have caused um, some people, maybe you're one of those people or you know someone, uh, to walk away from faith over the years and uh, trying to just tackle those issues and and understanding why maybe they, they shouldn't be issues. And so much of it has to do with a particular version of faith that we were handed, but that doesn't mean that that version was the right version. Right. So here we are, and um, this week we are going to turn our attention to the oh-so-wonderful topic of science. The Bible and science. Right. The because the Bible is a scientific textbook. That's sarcasm if you can't hear it coming uh, through the microphone. The Bible is not a scientific textbook. Um, so there is this issue, that, that or uh, attention, um, an incompatibility that people see between faith and science or the Bible and science, religion and science, you got the, the, the tension, the kind of the lie really is that you got to take one or the other, right? That either, um, just from the Christian perspective, either the Bible is true or science is true and they it can't, can't both be, be true. They can't both be true. And that's actually a really new line of thinking in yes. terms of theological thought Very and much. scientific thought. Um, really only one that came about in the last, uh, 150 years. Yeah. Um, mostly over the last, like, probably 80 years has that really yeah it's really been some pretty much developed. The, it's really gained steam in the in the 20th century right. i mean i mean because you know we're going to get into some of this stuff too is like age of the earth and like specifically the, the topic of evolution comes up i mean like well darwin and the theory of evolution didn't come along until sometime in the 1800s 1859 okay so there was 1800 years of church history before that so it is a newer kind of controversy um and something that we believe and lot of people do as well that doesn't need to be a tension um, that the only reason that faith and science should not like that they don't cooperate together is if you have an improper view of one of them right um, and so we're gonna dive into that a little bit today mm-hmm. because whenever most people walk away from the faith because of science it's usually around the argument or the the debate over evolution versus creationism right so that's where we're going to kind of focus our time there are other issues that people maybe have with science but the big one is okay genesis one genesis one there it is uh specifically young earth creationism because that's usually what people grow up around and then end up rejecting whenever they learn that science disproves that right so yeah um so just right off the bat so you know where we're coming from and where we're going to land um, is that the Bible has nothing to say about the age of the earth or our modern understanding of science. Yep. And some of you might stop listening right there. Yep. Whenever we try to cram scientific, like modern 21st century scientific understanding into the pages of scripture, we are doing something that was never intended. The, the original audience, like the original author, the audience, they had no concept or understanding of what we would call modern science. They weren't trying to communicate modern science. They were not concerned at all about physical creation and properties. And again, we're going to get into all of this. Um, but yeah, so I mean, personally, we both uh, uh, agree and would say that, okay, we believe that, that God um, created 
like the physical creation, um, how he did that, when he did that. We don't know. God created the physical universe, but Genesis 1 is not that story. Right. It's trying to communicate a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so biblically, that's where we're coming from. But also just in terms, and we touched on this a couple of weeks ago when we started the series as an overview, that if we try to blend the two, we're making both faith and science do something that they were never meant to do. Right. Right? Um, because science at its at its core, like the definition of science is the study of the natural world. And so you have different sciences, right? You have, um, you know, biology and um, meteorology. Anthropology. And anthropology and, and zoology geology. and geology. All the ologies, all the different studies of different parts of our physical world. It's the mm-hmm. things that we can touch and poke and study and sample. Um, it's a study of the natural world. Right. And because it's the study of the natural world and faith, by definition, um, is things that are above nature, right? God is something that is supernatural. Right. It is beyond nature. But science can't tell you anything about faith. Right. Um, but whenever we blend the two together, we want to try to make science prove or disprove faith, which it can't do. And faith prove or disprove science, which it's not designed to do either. Exactly. <laughs> so first, don't believe anybody that tells you that science has disproven God because that's not what science was meant to do. And if science somehow has disproven God, that's not science. That's moral philo- or that's some sort of philosophy, existential philosophy. That's true. Um, well, I mean, even that idea like philosophy, we'll try to make science in our modern world inform things like morality and ethics and philosophy. And again, that's, that is science venturing into areas that it's, it's just not, it can't do. It's not what science is. Because, again, science is just the study of what is there. What is right in front of me? Can I touch, smell, feel, mm-hmm. taste, whatever? Um, so when you start talking about, like, you know, philosophy or morals or ethics, it's like, well, you're out of the realm of science. I don't know. I just read a really good book on uh, moral philosophy or psychology, and it was fascinating because there's a lot of physical sciences that go into it. <laughs> okay. Genetics and groupthink and all that sociology a lot of sociology so but still that's just the study of the brain right, <laughs> right. you're studying something but the, like w- the underlying kind of like okay but w- why is like something good or something bad like why do universally pretty much people say this is a good thing this is a bad thing it's like uh, 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 i don't know right <laughs> i don't i don't know it just is okay you shouldn't hurt people well why not I don't know. You just shouldn't. Okay. Anyway, so that's that's where we're going, right? Science, faith, two different things. They are absolutely compatible. In fact, uh, we would say that a Christian biblical worldview would say science is amazing because it helps us to understand God's creation better. Right. That, like, the fathers of modern science were mostly Christian who Christians who wanted to understand this amazing universe that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the challenge comes whenever people who grew up in a more fundamentalist background that they're taught that if Genesis isn't true, isn't true, then the rest of the Bible isn't true either. That and that includes Jesus. So if right. we can't trust Genesis, then we can't trust any of it. Right. So we've got to start with Genesis. We've got to get this right because our entire belief system hinges on getting Genesis right. And I would say that we have to understand Genesis. Yes, the answers are <laughs> in Genesis, <laughs> but not the answers that we're looking for. Um, you know, Genesis kind of sets up the pattern of themes and um, biblical design patterns that we see throughout the rest of Scripture. Uh, that's important for understanding the grand narrative of Scripture, but it doesn't have to do with 
our understanding of um, the physical world. Um, so there's, there's a couple problems that come with that line of, of reasoning that if Genesis isn't true, then we can't trust any of the Bible. Um, and one of the reasons is, well, our definition of true today in 21st century Western thinking is very different from what uh, the ancient Near Eastern authors would have considered to be true. Right. We so we have completely different definitions of what true means. Yeah, true is, this is not literally what it means in my mind in English, so that must be what true is, and right. that's importing our ideas into Scripture. Um, second, to say that Genesis has to be true for the whole Bible to be true is just false reasoning, um, because the Bible is made up of many different books that all are from different genres, many different authors, purposes, etc. And they all operate together in a unified manner to tell one story, but they also operate kind of independently of one another. So to say that one of these is true kind of undoes the rest of the Bible. Well, that's just false reasoning. Um, third, for the first non-Jewish Christians, the first non-Jewish followers of Jesus, they didn't have the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, or what we would call the Old Testament, and yet they believed in Jesus. So to say that we have to get Genesis right in order to believe in Jesus, um, that's not true because they believed in Jesus without <laughs> the Old Testament, without the Bible. Um, they believed in Jesus because of what some of them saw. They saw a risen Jesus, or they believed in Jesus because of what someone they knew saw. They saw a risen Jesus. Phil, do you have anything that you would like to add there? No, I would just agree with all of that and say, yeah, so whenever we set up that kind of false dichotomy of if Genesis isn't true, then none of it's true, it, it's just a whole lot of problems. And a lot of people walked away from faith because of that. Growing up maybe in a faith tradition or a church tradition, you know, that said you have to take an absolutely, like, I don't even like the word literal because if some literal just means like, okay, this is, this means what it says. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think scripture does mean what it says, but it means what it said when it was written to whom it was written. But like, it, it's a view that, again, it took, here's what this means to me as an American living in 2020. I'm going to read these English words and make this word for word idea translation. Um, you know, growing up in that kind of environment, it does a lot of damage. And again, if you have that view, that's fine. But if we push that forward as that's the only view right the minute someone comes along and says yeah but what about all this other evidence and the kind of the hoops you have to jump through oh yeah to make like scripture line up with that story it's just it's really really problematic and like a lot of people walk away from faith um because of that or mm -hmm. some people like i mean i've heard stories of people it's like they haven't walked away from faith because they still like i love jesus but i just don't I just don't think about Genesis. I don't think about the Old Testament because I don't believe it's true. You know what I mean? As, as far as, air quotes, true in the way that I've been told it's true. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, a lot of this, like we said, is going to focus around Genesis 1 because that's where the big issue is with science and faith. And it revolves around this idea either you believe in modern science which the current theory, and it is just a theory because science changes, right? Mm -hmm. Is it's still, um, the earth is, I don't know. I should have wrote this number down. It's how like many billion 4. years? 4.3 billion 4. years 3 old. 4.3 billion years old and the theory of evolution and all those things. That's what modern science says. Um, or you have the other extreme, which would be the young earth creationist view. And there are some varying 
views in there. Like there's some views. It's like, well, the earth is slightly older. It's not billions of years old. And there's, so there's a varying degree, but we're going to set it up in that way and kind of talk about the two sides that way. Right. We'll cover everything else. Young Earth creationists are the loudest and they are very much have, the in my opinion, done the most damage. And, um, and, and just in our context, I feel like that's probably who we know the most. Right. Of, and that's right? the context that we both grew up in. Right. That's what we grew up in. That's run into Joe Christian on the street. And that's probably what they believe. Um, right. So let's talk about young earth creationism for a second, just in case anybody okay. doesn't know some of the details of that. So first off, in terms of uh, theological thought, young earth creationism is very new. It came about as a response to um, Darwin's On the Origin of Species. So it came about after 1859. Um, so almost 1900 years of church history before this, um, this line of thinking came about. And, and so, like being in the public s- space, like didn't really come out too much until the 1920s. Right. Like we talked about like the Scopes Monkey Trial. Scopes Monkey Trial, modernist fundamentalist mm-hmm. thing. All of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh, science and faith don't mix." Right. right? So um, very new, hundred years. And ago. so, just on that basis, I think this is something that Christians should be very wary of, um, because anything new, there is zero church history to back this perspective up. Um, and so, be careful, be wary of it. Um, I think personally, in to honor church tradition, this perspective should be rejected. Um, but young earth creationism is a view that says that the earth is about 6,000 years old. Um, and, you know, they'll try to say that, you know, radioactive isotopes don't decay at a constant, even though it's pretty much accepted in the scientific community that radioactive isotopes do decay at a constant rate. Right. Um, uh, that's based on a seven literal day uh, reading of creation that it all happened in seven days and not over the course of time. What we would call a week today. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, and that uh, they, they get to that date that's 6,000 years old based on there's some geneal- genealogical lists um, in Genesis. It's like, okay, here are the generations. And so it's like, well, we tally those up and there we go. Here's 6,000 years. 6,000 years seems good to me. Right. Um, which they never, they always say, okay, the, this genealogy amounts to 6,000 years, but they never add in the 2,000 years plus Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I, t- I just thought about that. That's problematic um, uh, for that perspective. Um, the problem with that approach of trying to add up the genealogies to try to figure out how old the age of the earth is, um, if you ever compare the genealogies, then you'll see that there are discrepancies. They're different. They're different. Things don't line up, and so that would... Some people would say, well, that's the reason why we can't trust the Bible, because it's full of discrepancies. Well, more of us importing our worldview into it. our idea of what's true. Yeah. Um, th- this just assumes that genealogies are always historical in nature. We know from other ancient Near Eastern writings and from other genealogies in the Bible that that's not the case, that genealogies are rather theological in nature, that they're meant to tell a story of what God is doing uh, through human history instead of tell us exactly who gave birth to who. Uh, because a lot of times they'll skip generations or they'll put people in a different order to tell a certain story. Right. They're, trying to, they're trying to communicate God's story. I think anytime we approach the scripture, if we could understand that idea that the biblical authors are not just interested in communicating history of what happened. They're trying to tell you what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Bible is not a historical textbook it's not a history book like the bible and the christian faith is anchored in history like there are pinpoints in history that you can you can find right but it's not 
at its core saying, here's what happened. Here's exactly what right. happened. It's like, no, this is... It's, it's historical in the fact that it covers historical events, but it's not a history textbook in the way we think of modern history textbooks. Right. I like um, Tim Mackey. He's a, a, a biblical scholar, and I just like the way he says it. He's like, it's not security camera footage. Right. right? We, we, we want like the Bible to be like there's a security camera, as we talk about Genesis 1, in the Garden of Eden, and this is just recording everything that happens. Like, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the goal of the biblical authors. You know, I, think, I think a lot of people view it as, you know, a couple of years ago there was that— um, you know, live webcam at one of the zoos of oh, the giraffe that yeah, was about that, to be like, born. Yeah, that wouldn't give birth for like d- like weeks. Everyone's right. like, is it going to have the baby? Is it going to have right. the baby? Yeah. I think a lot of people <laughs> think of the Bible like that. Right. It's like, oh, we're just like spying in on exactly what happened. Are they still naked? <laughs> nope, they sinned. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> good, we can look now. <laughs> um, so getting back to young earth creationism, right. uh, kind of the champion of young earth creationism is Ken Ham and his organization Answers in Genesis, which is based out of Florence, Kentucky. Um, uh, and also you'll, you, you have the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter because for them it all hinges on Genesis 1 through 11. The Ark Park. The, the Ark Park, uh, which we could talk about the Ark another day, but we're not going to today. Um, now one thing that you should know is that Ken Ham is not a scientist. He's not a biblical scholar. He has a bachelor's in education. He was a high school science teacher. In Australia, I believe. In Australia. Down under. Um, so just let that sit for a little bit. That you are basing basically your entire faith off of somebody who hasn't really studied the text, who hasn't actually studied science um, professionally. Rather, he teaches science to high school students, which if you're a high school science teacher, <laughs> that's honorable profession. Um, but you would probably admit, okay, I'm not a scientist. I understand scientific principles and how to teach those ideas to yeah. students. I mean, I just or like on the biblical side, like, hey, you know, you read your Bible, you understand it. That's great. Or you and I, we're, we're pastors. We are not biblical scholars. No. Like there are people that, have, that dedicate their entire professional careers and go to college for like way too long and have multiple degrees and letters after their name and that, that want to basically get themselves into the, the world in which this was written and understand the texts and the cultures. And like those are tools and gifts that God has given us. Mm-hmm. Like we should, you know, use that. We should take advantage of We should of honor those gifts honor to the those, church. those gifts. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that's kind of young earth creationism in a nutshell, that seven-day literal creation, the way that we think about days and weeks today, um, a 6,000-year-old earth, and so that completely rejects modern scientific understanding of age of the earth, um, theory of evolution, uh, Big Bang cosmology, all of that. Right. And then it, it also, and kind of getting back to it, that, it takes and makes the Bible say things that it wasn't meant to say and talk in modern scientific terms. Right, so. because they, they, they bank on a literal reading of the English text. Um, and so for us to actually, if we want to read the Bible literally, we actually have to read it as the first audience or as the author would have understood it, um, not as our English translators have it. And so for us to do that, it takes a lot of work uh, because we have to understand the cultural and the historical context of it. Um, it means that we have to study other ancient documents that are outside of scripture, like other ancient Near Eastern creation documents like the Atrahashis and the Numa Elish yeah. um, and other Egyptian uh, creation documents. Um, 
then it means that we also have to understand the grand narrative of the entire Bible. What is it that God is trying to do and to communicate? And before we go any further than that, I want to say, because we've mentioned this multiple times in these conversations, don't let that discourage you from reading the Bible. Right. Right? Like, don't don't hear, you know, you got to understand the context and the culture and the and the language and all of that, and, and don't let that cause you to think, well, I can't, I can't read it. I can't do it then. Um, but rather like let that invite you into what is a lifetime adventure of understanding God and what he's communicating through this text um, to understand, like, I'm probably never going to understand it fully, but I can continue to learn and grow and read things other than just the Bible, but like commentaries and books that have been written about right. it. Um, it's a lifetime process. So yeah, you're not going to arrive today. Yeah, we're still, I mean, we, we don't know anything, really. <laughs> no, I mean, we both have degrees um, from Bible colleges. And so we have had courses in this stuff and have done a lot of reading, but we're but not scholars. Yeah, don't, still um, don't know anything. Right. Know, we're, so. we're on a journey to continue to learn, to, c- to continue to discover. And we invite you on that same journey. Yeah, we're just talking about like intellectual and biblical honesty, right? right. Like just to say, hey, I'm not just going to like, hardline hold this view but i'm going to commit to to learning to growing and knowing more so Mm -hmm. be encouraged in that right but also be challenged by that and say hey i can't just pick this up and read it at face value i need to get some understanding right and so if we're going to understand the bible literally we have to do those things um whenever we begin to to do that and understand the Bible and its context, then we discover that the author isn't interested in science at all. In fact, our, our modern understanding of science, I mean, this was a culture that looked up and saw the stars and didn't realize that they were burning balls of gas, but rather they thought they were gods. They're gods. Those oh, gods. look, those things up there. Oh, those are gods. Right. And so whenever, not just Genesis, but you know, you read in Psalms and other passages, when you read about like the heavenly host and the starry host, it's like they look up into the sky and think, Oh, those are all the different gods. Right. We think, no, those are giant burning balls of gas that are light years away, and they're, they have no concept for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to then say, like, well, those Neanderthals of, you know, back then, they didn't know anything. How, how you know, stupid were they? It's like, no, that's just their understanding of the world. Right. You know what? Several thousand years from now, if this world's still spinning— People are going to look back on us and probably say, wow, they had no understanding of the world. Right. We need to abandon our cultural superiority and think that somehow we are better than they are and just lay that aside and just recognize, okay, this was a completely different world. Mm -hmm. Just like if you go live in India, you can't somehow say, wow, like American culture is way better than Indian culture. No, like do your hard work, understand their culture um, and don't just think that somehow yours is better. Yeah. Um, so I guess moving, moving forward, um, just one point to, to just understand is that the Bible is never interested in giving us answers to all of our questions, <laughs> answers in Genesis, uh, but it's rather to point us to Jesus and to tell us God's purposes in this world and what he is doing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so reading the Bible to learn, like how God made the earth, right, like I want to know how did God make something? Like how did the earth come into his existence? That's importing something into uh, the Bible that wasn't meant to be there. Right. Um, and, and and so just kind of getting back to, I guess that's probably a good place to start. Like yeah. let's just dive in let's a little just bit get into to Genesis. how the ancient peoples understood the world. Um, so for us, we're approaching this with the question of, well, 
is there a God who made all of this stuff, like made the physical creation, or is it just the result of some random processes? That thought never would have crossed the mind of an ancient person. Right. Um, you know, this is, an, this is an, a text out of the ancient Near East. This is from the Israelite perspective. But even among all their neighbors, the Canaanites and the Babylonians and the Egyptians, like nobody would have thought, I wonder if there's a God or not. No, they all had an, like, oh, well, they'd be like, well, duh, of course there's a God, there's gods, plural, and they created all of this. And so that was like a given. So it's not trying to answer that question at all. It's trying to answer, well, what is this? What God created this? Right. What is this God like? What's the nature of this God and humanity's relation to whatever God created? And it's answering all the questions that we come to Genesis. And whenever we want to just ask, did God do this or not? And how did he do it? We actually eliminate and write off all the questions that it's trying to shed light on mm-hmm. um, by looking for something that's not there. Right. And I think a, a, a challenge for people is to recognize, and this is going to mess with some people, understand that Genesis 1 is Israelite creation myth. Okay, just because it's myth doesn't make it less true, but it's yeah, mythology. Like, again, and underst- that's a modern understanding. And we think myth, and we think it's a fairy tale. Right. It's not the it's same not. thing. It's not. It's a, it's a describing of how things came to function, came to be, um, just like other ancient Near Eastern creation mi- myths. Uh, and it messes with people's categories whenever you begin to see the similarities of the biblical text and these other documents, because... Yes they read very much the same mm-hmm. um, the same era some actually some are older right some are older than the biblical text yeah. um, which again messes with young earth creationists right. perspective and that's not to say from a christian perspective that, that genesis isn't true because we absolutely believe that it's true mm-hmm. but whenever we read genesis and then we have an understanding of again a babylonian creation myth or egyptian or canaanite we get a glimpse into how people then as a broad category viewed the world right and what what questions were they trying to answer and how are they trying to wrestle through life um so let's just kind of work through some of this and just understand because the big idea is it's not how did god do this or you know when did he do it it's it's setting up this god of the israelites yahweh Mm -hmm. as complete and the world that we're in is completely different and other than what the other um, peoples and cultures right. saw the world functioning as. Uh, and just to kind of help us to understand this isn't talking about modern science. No, the, uh, the biblical author was in conversation with these other ancient Near Eastern documents to say, okay, like it happened this way, but Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews is different. He's different. Um, right. Yeah. So Genesis one, Verse one, the first words of the Bible. Um, now, this is an exercise. I'm not going to take credit for this. This was Tim Mackey in a, um, a lecture that he did on science and faith. And uh, we'll drop that link in the, the notes for this. It's really, really good. Um, but he goes through this and just, so I'm going to read Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, depending on what tran- translation you have, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's Genesis 1.1. Now, what are you picturing in your mind right now? Like, God, I don't know, like some giant hands coming out of nowhere, like forming stuff, like at a specific time. You know, he goes through, he talks about so this phrase, in the beginning, right? Um, it's the Hebrew word, bereshit. And there's a Hebrew word that means like a specific point in time, because that's how we read it, like the beginning, the beginning of everything. Right. 
and they have a Hebrew word that means that. It's not Bereshit. Bereshit just means some unspecified time in the past. Like the English equivalent is like way back when. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Sometime in the past. And so from the, the very first phrase, it's like the author's really not interested in telling us about no. how or when all this happened. Um, it says that God created the heavens. And that's not like some weird faraway cloud existence. It literally just means when you look up, what's up there? It's that blue thing up there, like what's up above us in the earth. Um, and you think earth, if I tell you to think of earth, what are you picturing in your mind? I think of the globe. You think of a blue globe mm-hmm. spinning, you know, a pale blue dot. With some patches of green here and there. Like, do you know how long humanity has had access to that idea of the globe? It's like 50 or 60 years. Right. Like since we were able to send like a satellite into space and take a picture. And send it back. <laughs> and send it back. To the biblical author and audience, the, the earth, it's just literally what's below your feet. And so a more accurate reading of Genesis 1-1 is way back when God created what's up there and what's down here. <laughs> it's like the author doesn't really care about giving you the details of that. And that no. sets us up to understand the entire rest of it. Right, because the, the author isn't concerned about material origins, how everything came in to be, but rather functional origins, how things came to, to function and their purposes. Their purposes for, okay, God, space, and humanity's flourishing and existence right. in this space. That is the, the point of Genesis um, 1 uh, and 2, which, by the way, are two, like, reconcile this, that Genesis 1 and 2 kind of tell two different creation narratives. And if you're trying to take it as literal, you're like, wait, how do these go together? Right, and even within <laughs> that, you have, you know, the seven days of creation. There's parallels. But God makes the sun first, and then he makes the light later. Like, Wait, how, did how does that, that work? Happen? Um, or just another example. So when, it, when God makes the skies, uh, it's this word rakia, and it, it comes from a verb that means to like hammer out. It's like what, what like a, a blacksmith or an, you know, someone that works with metal does to make like a shield or a dome. And so you look up into the sky. What kind of shape is it if you know, you're not in a modern world and you can actually see to the horizon? There's a big dome above you. He made the sky dome. He made the sky dome. And there's, it's pretty cool. If you actually want to take a literal understanding of physical creation from the biblical account, like you can find pictures of this. It talks about like the sky, or the earth is flat, of course. Um, and, and not only is it flat, but then it's sitting on pillars. Right. You'll, you'll read that it's sitting on pillars because what's down below, if you dig down into the earth, what do you find? Water. Right water well you find lava too but i don't think i said rock oh rock but you know water comes out so there's water underneath of us there's water above us because the sky's blue so you have the the sky dome rakia is holding up the waters that are up there because god separated the waters right we see that at the beginning there's water up there and there's water below us and there's pillars holding us up there's chaos above and there's chaos below yeah and then every once in a while, you'll read things like God opens up the windows that are in the heavens. How do you know there's windows? Well, because sometimes the water that's up there, it comes down here. And so if you take a physical, like, this is, like, that's the picture of earth that you have. And so do we ask, well, is the Bible, like, not true? It's like, well, no. It's not answering modern scientific questions. Right. <laughs> so what is it trying to say, Paul? It's trying to tell us who did it and why. That it wasn't raw that it wasn't um all these other gods i can't think of them I right know, now I'm, I'm not brushed I up need, on my i need to, to open up ancient nearest eastern my, my uh, other book um <laughs> but rather it was it was god and god created the world for functioning for human flourishing 
that he created people in his likeness, in his image, um, to be kind of his servants. And it, it wasn't necessarily like the other ancient Near Eastern documents where they needed the people to serve them, that the people were created out of a battle between the gods and mm-hmm. their blood and their spit. And then these people came. And then Genesis, Genesis 11 comes, the flood, and, well, the people are just too loud, so we need to destroy them. Boom, let's send a flood, because that'll wipe them out. And the Genesis account is completely different, but still flood. Um, There's some very key key pieces um, in the Genesis narrative that are true in other ancient Near Eastern uh, creation mythologies as well that we glance right over, like water being water. one of them. Mm-hmm. Water always represents chaos. chaos. Um, Genesis 2 and 3, uh, especially 3, where sin comes, there's the chaos monster, the serpent or dragon-like thing. Right. In Genesis, it's the serpent. The other creation myths have a the serpent, same thing. A dragon. Like, the uh, order. The one has like something that we derive the word Leviathan from. Right. Again, it's a serpenty beast. The the order of creation is the same in all these other accounts. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's these ideas. Like, this is how people in the ancient world thought. Right. It's not about what was created and how it was created. It was, who is this God? What is he doing? Right. Um, and, and John Walton, in his book, uh, The Lost World of Genesis 1, uh, which I'd encourage you to to buy, to read. It's really uh, good. It is very good. Um, he makes the point that God is creating a cosmic temple for human flourishing, an overlapping of God space and human space. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Okay. I think that's a really a big idea, right? So you see, like you said, God making a, a cosmic temple. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire universe is God's temple. It's where right. he wants to dwell in this creation. So he makes it for human flourishing and he puts people there that mm-hmm. are meant to act as then kind of like his the, agents in his the world, agents, kind of like the priests of the temple, um, which is why on the seventh day, God comes like he rests and it's not like, oh, I'm tired. I took a break, but I'm coming to live and dwell right, to reign t- in my temple. Yeah, because, again, you look in ancient Near Eastern um cultures and things whenever whether it was a god would come and rest in a temple that's how they described it or the king or a king because when a new the temple king would was be built. a god a god right the, they would be by a god and, by the people and oftentimes there was this pattern of seven days or seven weeks of like at the end of that then the god or the king would take up his place in the temple and would rule and would reign mm-hmm. and so you see god creating a cosmic temple you see all this and then once creation itself is broken and fallen, sinful, it's no longer the whole universe isn't seen as a temple anymore. Well, now the Jewish people have a temple, and it's where God, his presence is supposed to be. Right. And there's all these symbols in the temple that are m- supposed to make the, the Jewish people think back to the garden, right. the original temple, and God dwelling with his people. And it's not just the Jewish temple. It was every ancient every temple, Near Eastern for their, temple yeah, for their gods, had that, that's how they that same it. imagery of a garden, um, which, I don't know, just destroys the categories for uh, young earth creationists to think about that. Yeah. God was creating a temple. He wanted people to rule and reign with him in, in, uni- like in unity with him of like, hey, we're doing this together. I, I'm, God is governing the earth, but he's doing it through his human agents. Right. Um, yeah, it, it changes a lot of categories. The whole idea of Sabbath and resting changes because it's not just about we'll take a break for the sake of taking a break. It's take resting in the fact that God is ruling. Right. He is reigning. He is taking. He's taken up residence in his temple. So guess what? We can just go, 
I don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. God's on the throne. Right. It's a whole different worldview statement that we lose when we want to make this. Is this about science or is the earth old? Is the earth young? Um, yeah. And the Bible, as we keep saying, the Bible does not care. It's not designed to answer our scientific questions. So if you walked away from the faith because somebody said, well, if you can't trust Genesis, then you can't trust any of the Bible. Um, I would encourage you to just reconsider that perhaps they were wrong. Perhaps their understanding and your understanding of Genesis was wrong. Yeah. And maybe to, uh, to go out and buy John Walton's book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, and his other book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve. Yeah, that's a really um, good one, too. Two great books. Just any of The Lost World books by John Walton yeah. are fabulous. Anything from John Walton is good. He's an Old Testament scholar any, like tremper longman is another really good mm-hmm. old testament scholar um like just find people that like this is their life has been dedicated to understanding this stuff right don't rather than just hey some guy on youtube said right some high <laughs> school some of these guys are on youtube so there's some that high school science teacher told me that this is what the bible means yeah. it's um, it's so much it's so much better than that. it is um, um, because this gives you freedom to believe in science mm-hmm. so where the bible is silence or silence, yeah, silent, silent. Then we can look at other the best explanations for what we have, right. and so for us today, that's our sciences are the best way to understand yeah. scripture. And whenever they bump up, then we have to reevaluate. Okay, maybe our understanding of science is wrong, or maybe our understanding of the Bible is wrong. Yeah. But it's not okay. Let's abandon them both. It's like okay. Maybe we got it wrong. Let's reevaluate. Let's dig in deeper. Let's do some more study and maybe mm-hmm. you know, try to understand what they were actually trying to tell us. It gives you the freedom to actually pursue science honestly right. as a Christian and not make it have to, like, why well, it has to say this because of the Bible. Right. Um, you don't have to do science and try to make science prove the Bible is correct. The Bible can stand on its own. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. He can defend himself. You don't have to check your brain at the door to be a person of faith. Right. That's the beautiful thing about when you read the scripture in the context that it's meant to be read in, what wherever science goes, it's like, well, okay, that doesn't affect my faith because that's fundamentally just not what scripture is is talking about. Right. It's trying to make a statement about, again, in its context, what this God in the world that they're in. And, and who they're made as people, like how different that is. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about some of these other ancient Near Eastern mythologies, and I don't know them all that well. I know there's one, I think it's a Babylonian one, where um, I think I think it's Babylonian, because I think it's Marduk, yeah, the Babylonian the god. And he, the way that the world is created is this Babylonian god is in at war with Tiamat, who's like this chaos monster. Hey, look, there's a serpent again, right? And causes this wind to blow down its throat and he basically rips Tiamat in half and out of the top half makes the heavens, out of the bottom half makes the earth. And so what's what's fundamentally being communicated about that world? It's a world that was built on violence and bloodshed and that's how the world operates. Well, then you compare that to the way that the God of the Hebrews operates and the, the Jewish, like the Genesis story, it's a God that just speaks and out of the chaos brings order and beauty and function completely different worldview and in those babylonian mythologies like we said like how does humanity come about they're like well there's this one we have all these gods and there's this one god we don't like so let's kill him pour some of his blood on the ground and make people out of them so they can be our slaves right versus again the, the the genesis account is god says 
I want to share in this good creation and I'm going to create people in my own image so they can rule, they can reign on my behalf and flourish. Like that is what we miss. Right. It's, it is the Hebrew people in conversation with their Egyptian Babylonian Canaanite neighbor saying, Oh, you guys, you've got the world wrong. Mm -hmm. Like there is a good God and there is beauty here. And he's invited us into this story. Right. And whenever we read the Bible, um, as trying to answer our scientific understanding, we, we do disservice to the text. We um, end up with a wrong view of creation, that it's ours to pillage and yeah. do whatever we want with, instead of recognizing, look, God created us out of the ground. He created us like the other animals, but yet we're different. We are one with creation and not like a one as in like a new age, like perspective or, like you know, Gaia, earth, like, earth mother, like the man. earth mother. Yeah, it's like, no, we are connected. We're a living system and we're meant to care for those things. Right. Like we, I mean, that's literally, um, Adam, which means like humanity is right. made out of the Adama, like the dirt, like right. we are earthlings. We are, we are connected to this, but yet there's something that makes us different. Right. And it's this, again, this, God's spirit in us and him saying like, come partner with me. Mm -hmm. Like I've packed this world full of potential. Now you go and be like me, create, bring about beauty and flourishing. It's just, it's a good thing. It is a good thing. It's a very good thing. And I know we've said it multiple times, but like that gets missed whenever we take a flat reading. I want to import science into this. I'm trying to just answer the questions of, is, is, you know, is the Bible true or is science true? Do I believe in a young earth? Do I believe in evolution? Like, whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. The Bible's not trying to answer those questions right. at all. Um, so ponder that. I don't know. Right. I, don't I, I would encourage you to, um, yeah, just think about that. Uh, you have permission to believe in science and not, you know, just like anything we can get an un unhealthy view and like, you know, certainty, like having theological certainty, that's an unhealthy perspective. Yeah. Uh, we make things into idols and give them the wrong place uh, in our lives. Um, but definitely you have freedom to, to believe in science and whatever the best scientific explanation is. Um, I'd encourage you to spend some time on the BioLogos website, uh, looking through some of their resources because there are Christians and scientists who come together and basically say, hey, look, there is a different way of understanding science and scripture. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to hell because of it. Yeah. Um, if you're somebody from a fundamentalist perspective, you know, young earth creationist perspective, I would encourage you to first read the entire Bible, read it from cover to cover. So you actually know what it says. Cause that's a problem that many of us have is we haven't actually read the Bible to know what it actually says. Mm -hmm. And then I would challenge you to read the origin of species by Charles Darwin. That's Inst a real page turner. Instead of attacking, <laughs> listen, you can listen to it. You can listen to the audiobook form. Um, it'll take you about 22 hours this to do that. really long. <laughs> um, but I would encourage you to do that instead of attacking Darwin and his theory. Know what he actually said instead of what you think he said or what somebody told you that he said. Actually do the hard work and, and dig into it. Um, so that's my challenge for you. Um, but you have freedom. Yep. yep. Don't don't try to read your perspective into the text. Let the text speak to you, um, and try to understand how the original audience would have understood it. Yeah. And I would just add to that: as you engage with people who think differently than you, don't demonize someone who thinks differently. Because um, I think that's something that's really easy to do, and that we see a lot of. 
of like, you know, well, if you, I'm, you know, I'm a young earth creationist. And so like, you're a heretic if you're not basically like, you're just right. terrible. Um, again, don't hold so closely to your view, whatever your view is that it causes you to not love other people. Um, and it causes you to not fully see who God is and what he might be wanting to do. Um, yeah, that'd just be my, my encouragement there. Like if you want to, ha- if you have a, a young earth view, that's great. But I would hold that with an open hand. Right. If you have an older view, you, you know, that's great. Hold it with an open hand. Um, Again, this kind of goes back to, um, I guess, something that Phil and I've been talking about a little bit and what is central to our faith and what does the gospel mean, the good news of Jesus. Um, because at the end of the day, that's the thing that we hold with a closed fist. Yeah. Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, those things that we find in the creeds, is the, the first creed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's what we should be clinging on to, not Genesis. Because we can only fit so many things into a closed fist before we can't hang on to anything. Stuff starts falling out. Yeah. Right. So maybe it's time to, to let go of a few of those things and to, to really cling to that thing that is central to your faith. So, Phil, do you have anything that you'd like to add? I don't think so. Um, I know that we definitely didn't touch on everything. There's a whole lot of other things we could talk about. There may be a lot of questions that people still have. Uh, so I would encourage you to just jump in. I know it's like, well, we probably questions about, well, what about Adam and Eve? And what about, like, well, if the Earth's old, what about death? And all these different things. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to explore. So I would encourage you to, right. to go do that. Um, and maybe we'll talk about more of them someday, but... We might... We're just kind of trying to scratch the surface. I mean, today. if you're if you're able to, pick up John Walton's books because he answers a lot of those questions yes. that about death, about Adam and Eve. Um, and we don't want you taking our word human for human genomics. Um, yeah, do that. So with that, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure to subscribe, to leave us a rating re- and review on iTunes, and to share this podcast with others so that way they can uh, journey along with you in our faith discovery. See you next week.